Real Fun DC. Hospitality and a little bit of sass are always on the menu. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hello and welcome to Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis. The show that takes you on a deep dive into the happenings of the hospitality industry. Now, sometimes there's a focus on culture, sometimes there's a focus on travel trends, and sometimes there's a focus on passion projects, but it all always comes back to the industry. So a little catch up, because I did take a week off. I did decide on a Sunday at 3 p.m. to hop on a 3 a.m. plane out to Arizona, where I spent some time in Tucson and Scottsdale. Now, there is lots of fabulous hiking out there. I did the Star Pass. I also did Camelback, which is one of my absolute favorite hikes. And if you're a hiker, this one is definitely challenging. It's a two-hour hike up lots of scrambling, lots of using hands and knees. Um, my tush definitely hurt the next morning, but the summit view is spectacular and it is really worth it. Uh, Best Bite totally goes to Barrio Breads in Tucson. They're a James Beard nominee. Uh, Don Guerra and his team use ancient grains to create this endless variety of crusty, chewy, incredible breads, rolls, and focaccias. Um, I was back in town by Friday. Uh, and, you know, I don't really sit still. So I got to tell you about all the places I've been because literally I've been out every night. So I did dinner at David Deshaies, super sexy, and you better make a res now, Lardente. Um, I gathered with every single female chef and maker in the city uh, at the launch of the event of Regarding Her at Jamie Leeds Hank's Oyster Bar at the Wharf. Now, Regarding Her is a new group for women in the industry. We actually did a whole show on it with the creators of it a couple of weeks ago. You should totally listen to that. Um, and it was really a special, special event. I mean, it was the first time that all of us have been in a room together in over two years. And um, there was lots of hugs and lots of tears and lots of great food. It was just great. Uh, I also uh, listened to David Hagedorn and Kathy Barrow talk about her adorable new book, Bagel Schmears and a Nice Piece of Fish. For you brunch lovers out there, or for those of you who have friends who are brunch lovers, this book should be on everybody's shelf. Uh, and it was at this really cool cookbook bookstore uh, in. Uh, uh, Mount Pleasant called Bold Fork Foods. So if you love cookbooks, you definitely want to go there as well. And lastly, yes, I went to more places. I popped into Frederick Depew's new place, Henri. Uh, it's across from the Warner Theater. Now, I only had an opportunity to taste a couple of things, but the space is really fascinating. He designed it himself. It's really, really large. And 70% of the space is private dining, which is really different for a lot of restaurants because normally private dining is little and for everybody is really big. So munch on that for a, minute, a bit and uh, let's get into today's show. Okay, so back in the 80s, I remember going to my very first food court in Aventura, Florida. I was probably like 10 or 11 and I was already totally into food and I drove my parents crazy because I wanted to go to every stall and get something from each one so I could taste everything. Um, and as the years went on, food courts got shabby or maybe I got older and my taste changed. But in the last 15 years, there has been a real shift and they are no longer food courts or I mean, maybe some people have food courts, but there is the food 
hall. Now, it's whether it's in a, a modern airspace, open air venue, or a historic building, food halls offer this really exciting alternative to like just fast food. There are more than a hundred food halls across the country with more opening every month, which brings me to the most recent food hall here in DC, Western Market. So Western Market is a new food hall. It opened up last summer. It's in Foggy Bottom. And I have this panel today to talk about the business of food halls, the curation of a food hall, and what it's like to run your concept or why you would run your concept in a food hall. So joining me today is Nick. Nikki, I'm going to help you out. My last name is Alevro Giannis. <laughs> Alevro Giannis. Uh, he is with uh, Cana Development. Mercedes Cowper, who is also with Cana Development, Dane Cherry with Mason's Famous Lobster Rolls, and James Yarborough, who is with Rawfish. So everybody's going to come on and chat with me. But Nick, and your fabulous last name, I'm going to start with you. So thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having us all, Nikki. So Nick, let's talk a little bit. I mean, what is Cana Development? So we wear a lot of hats all individually, but, you know, collectively, and although we've been focusing on the food halls, you know, we're a company that is, you know, not to sound trendy or cliche, but we're activating retail through food, beverage, and experience. Um, and that's really, you know, working with our development partners, um, the real estate that we have, and then assessing what's around that area, what needs to go into that area, what's the right operator that's gonna kind of fit the traffic that you're gonna be seeing in that, in that area. Um, and then along with our team, we go into the programming of what that street level needs to be. Cause you know, whether we're in a city and we have a couple hundred thousand square feet of office above us and medical around us, and you know, there's, there's schools and much like Western market, a, a, a 25,000, uh, student, undergrad, and staff, college, university that we're on that we need to service. Um, it, it's really finding um, a bunch of operators like James and like Dane that we have on here that know how to live and thrive in that community, obviously, but are going to be a service to, to that community every day, not just, you know, something cool or a fad that you're popping in there. Well, so let's talk about what a food hall is. Can we talk about how it's morphed especially over the last 15 years. Um, you know, they started rolling out. I, I think the, there was a big one initially. I mean, the ferry building in San Francisco is, is really famous, but I think lots of people saw that and, and took from it. But then all these food halls started happening. It got really big in New York, like three opened, you know, in like one year, like maybe like 10 years ago, and then it's expanded. But can we talk about the, the concept of the food hall? Because it's not just restaurant, 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 or fast food, fast food, fast food. It's, it's, it's different. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. And we've seen the evolution, especially like within the industry and the wordage of, you know, it, what's a food hall, what's a market, what's an assembly, you know, to us as a company, um, we'd like to think of it as a, a place. And it's a place where there's eating, drinking, dining experience. It's not limited to anything and anyone can go to it. Um, while that sounds very grand and general, like it's easy to, to, to do, um, you know, it's, it's mostly about servicing that immediate community and then figuring out 
what you not have in there. So while some can be very heavy on prepared foods and what the best sushi might be, or, you know, what the best burger concept that's hot right now is in there. Um, people rely on them and have relied on them for hundreds of years to get their produce, to go and get, um, you know, machinery that they need. Western market, case in point, it was one of the three original markets in DC that was developed through Len Font when he did the civil engineering. Um, Eastern market is still there. That's been revamped through the year. Central market, um, you know, a long time ago was built over. Um, and then Western market here going from, you know, the late 1800s of being mostly a, a mercantile type of trade market into 300,000 square feet of mixed use office, and then 15,000 square feet of what used to be, you know, good shops and, and, and retail, but maybe some of them were dated and they weren't completely focused now, 20 years later after being there within what that corner of DC is kind of um, shaped up to. Um, as we've seen, most of DC has gone through a humongous transition in, in the last 20 years. So I think the food hall, you know, can be a place that sustains, you know, a very long life and, and really bring something central to, to that community from an everything type of shopping experience, hanging out, being together, congregation of people, right? Um, rather than just, oh, hey, you know, here's like a cafeteria type style of place, right? It's thought out, it's branded, it's managed. The operators know that they're all in there together, that everything and all the people that are within this, you know, Western market or Chelsea market in New York are building what that overall brand is of that market and that community. Well, so what was the vision for this brand? I mean, you have this rich history, obviously. Is that part of your narrative? How do you how do you incorporate that into your to to how you talk to the public and, and explain to them what they're coming into? So, you know, our, our first real food hall that we were able to kind of sketch out, develop, change kind of a, a, a dead community was in Baltimore about seven years ago, mm -hmm. uh, 15,000 square feet, only cost like a couple million in, in the hard costs from the, from the development. And we knew that had to be very Baltimore centric, had to be like immediate people knew it because we weren't in some destination with foot traffic that was insane. No, that food hall was like off to the side. Absolutely, right? So it was, yeah. okay, how can we get kind of the best of Baltimore and what the people of this area really love then come to all the time, right? So that was going to every food truck, farmer's market, establishments that, did, that, that have been there for years. And also just new... Um, concepts that you needed to introduce people to that made sense were, were from the, those right operators. Um, and then, you know, an, another one in Baltimore was Cross Street Market. Cross mm -hmm. Street Market is a 125-year-old public market that's been serving Baltimore forever. Uh, still city-owned. We did a JV partnership with them and Caves Valley Partners. Um, we're able to redevelop it, release it, kind of bring it up to what it used to be. And, you know, that was the, the staple of the community then where people were doing all of their shopping and their eating and their, and their hanging out. Um, you know, a, a lot of our, how we go into, cause we're, we're in, you know, Baltimore and DC are night and day. New York right. is night and day, depending on what neighborhood. You Although are. Baltimore is very competitive with DC and DC is not competitive with Baltimore at all. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're trying, you know. It's they're they're just they're they're you know Baltimore 
we all probably kind of say it, it's more of a blue collar town, what people can afford, how people are going out are, are much different. I mean, there. we could go down a rabbit hole in Baltimore because I do, <laughs> I love the city and I think it's great. And I mean, Baltimore. Baltimore has the Pendry. I know there's one coming to DC, but I mean, it has the Pendry. It has the Ivy. I mean, it, it does have a really terrific flavor for the breadth and depth and size of the city. You sure. know what I mean? So I don't know why it feels like, like the stepsister at the table. There's no reason. It's amazing. Well, but well, but well, as well. we, as we get, as we come into DC, you brought up something. And I know when I talk to Mercedes, we can talk about it a little more, but when you're creating these food halls and you're trying to fill the void that you see that the neighborhood so desperately needs, right? Like in Foggy Bottom where you, you have the hospital, you have the school, GW is there, you know, World Bank is down the street. I mean, you're in, you know, a, a, a very massive location for where things happen in, in the DC area. How do you decide about who you're bringing in you know, because you mentioned when you were doing Baltimore, you you wanted to bring in people from food truck, people who maybe hadn't been ready to make that next step. So are you handholding? Are you helping? Because it's a big, it's a big ass step. Food halls in general are new to a lot of people, you know, um, are, are gangster, vegan, rawish on the call right now. Mason's Lobsters, they've been in different type of um retail environments from your brick and mortar to your trucks to your food halls so right. we definitely can get into what the different areas are but no it's it's very much seeing what was down there and you hit it on the head we have a huge concentration of 18 to 22 year old kids that have some access to money gw is not the cheapest school to go to they have a g world card so you know they're going to be spending that which is their online platform so that if you're in college is how you can pay for it it gets reloaded um we have a hospital concentration we have world bank but you know what we knew we had was great density monday through friday from maybe 7 a.m. to 5 p.m., but then it was a ghost town. And then the weekends, again, no one's going down there in the weekdown. So we knew that our primary customer base was going to be that immediate era, probably work, live, go to school in D.C. in that area, but aren't hanging out there. So number one, service who's there. And then also, you know, as our secondary, how do we keep them there? So obviously the big thing was Western Market is making sure that we have music entertainment alcohol obviously as well i mean again another rabbit hole we can talk about how real estate has changed so drastically also in the last 20 years i mean there's barely an area that is new and up and coming or even an older area where it's not constantly activated with you know events and music and and ways to uh engage with potential patrons and clientele um, Nick, I'm going to leave you there because I'm going to bring Mercedes in, but we'll come back to you in a little bit. Mercedes, are you there? I am. Yep. Sorry, I'm, I'm the dial-in. <laughs> that's okay. I figured that's you. Hi there. So Mercedes, you curated this food, correct? So it actually, when I came on, uh, quite a few of the vendors had already been um, signed on with their lease. So, I mean, I have to say hats off to, to Nick and our leasing team um, through Kena who were able to help curate uh, the vendors who came in. So um, while, you know, I have been helping everyone get onboarded and, um, you know, kind of 
helping guide the construction timelines and milestones and things like that. Once, you know, once their lease is signed, it kind of falls into my hands. But as far as the curation of the different types of cuisine and things like that, um, I got to give it up to our, our leasing team for doing a stellar job. Okay. And well, Lucy, I'm going to bring you in on that because I'd like to talk about Mercedes, if you'll just hold for a second. How did you curate? You have how many offerings? 12? We have 15. So when we got, you know, initially you'll wind up getting what your entire space is. And the developer, along with our architects from Gensler to our food hall architects of Grizzform Design, will put together kind of what the plan is and what we can deliver. As a food hall company, a lot of landlords will approach delivery to tenants in a different way. Um, we've all been restaurant people at some point in, at Canna. So we've been through a tenant build out. What's the most expensive? Where do people really have a hard time going from, hey, I have this great farmer's market stall or this great restaurant, but I don't have the capital to open up another one. Our food halls, the way that we're delivering them and we're setting up is we're putting a hood for your cooking needs already done, your three compartment sink, your hand sink, your fire, electrical, most of the expensive stuff that a tenant needs to do, we already go ahead and do that. So after we can get the plan of where actually everything can go and see how many food hall stalls we, we actually have, then we go on the categories of what really fits here. What are the student want? What's the office worker want during their lunch break? What's gonna be really quick with the right price point? Right, and then figure that out. So we knew we needed early morning activations through coffee, bakery, baked goods. And we knew it was in DC in a prime time spot where we looked at the other businesses around us. We had the original founding farmers outside of the building. You know, th they went to GW University. That was their first one. That restaurant does north of 18 million a year. Um, I, I, right. So like, we, we understand Dan's we have not happy right now, just so you know, Dan's really not happy, but we, that, we could talk about that later. <laughs> <Really miserable. laughs> but the, I've seen him talk a couple of times. I, I like Dan. That's a, that's a big operation to be running too. Um, but he's got a, he's got a really good team over there. Um, and we had a Chipotle in the project and that's still there today. So we inherited a couple of tenants along with Bindas. We saw what the sales were. So I could go to groups where they're top in DC and say, I need you guys to do my coffee. I need you guys to go to my bakery. So okay. when we went and looked after, you know, five of the kind of best in the program right now, and then spent two, three months kind of explaining, here's our process, here's the space, here's the vision that we're going to. Um, and then we merchandised the entire layout of all the stalls. Like in the morning, here's where the office workers are becoming in. So like, that's where the coffee bakery should go. And then right. the lunch crowd and the entrances are here and they can all get activated, you know, at, at 10, 30, 11 o'clock uh, all the way through for the students and everyone else. And, you know, pizza's a big one, fried chicken's a big one. And then kind of look through our eaters, Yelps, reviews. We're in the restaurant scene, so we're hanging out with these guys. Uh, we're going they, to their restaurants. Forget the list or you want it.com. I think you did. I think that should have been a part of what you're looking at to see what you should be using as research. Absolutely. Okay, great. On yeah. that, uh, Mercedes, I'm going to come back to you. And um, so now that you're in there and uh, while you're not as, as part of the curation, but you are managing the market, so how, what does that mean for you and for the vendors that you work with? So, yeah, good question. Um, just like uh, the whole Cana team wears a lot of hats, uh, 
so do I <laughs> within the role of marketplace manager. Um, so as I had mentioned, uh, once we have, you know, our vendors, um, we've just had a couple new lease leases signed. Um, so once they're signed, um, it kind of falls on to me to have a kickoff meeting, talk about, you know, design elements for their stall, what construction timeline is going to look like, um, liaising between MRP Realty, who is the building management team and their engineering team, um, and really just looking at all of the logistics of what it actually means to do the construction, to build out the stall, what those logistics look like, how it's going to go. Um, and so I help manage that. And then on top of that, also talking with the vendors about, you know, what their menus are going to look like, going through that approval process. Again, there are so many different, um, you know, people and, and groups involved with how this all works together with, you know, from the lease signing to construction to actually opening to figuring out, you know, what sales system uh, the vendors are going to use and their menu items and um, the little nitty gritty things like um, well, what, how we're going to deal with, you know, waste oil and things like that. So well, I assume there's you a lot going price, on. Mercedes, I assume you help with prices and I assume you help with menu curation, like do they submit a menu to you and you take a look at it? I mean, you know the marketplace, you know what, what's moving, or do you allow, or is it more like you say to the vendor, you can go with this, see how it works, but do you, um, um, you know, do you give them your expertise to be like, here's what's moving, here's the price ranges that are working, this is what's happening? Yeah, uh, so for majority of the vendors, I mean, the great thing about it is because it's so diverse, there's not a lot of overlap with the different types of menu items, whether it's food or beverage. Um, so that kind of takes care of itself. Uh, but as far as menu curating and submission, yes, as you had said it, the vendors will submit their menus, I'll review it. Um, you know, our our team will review it on all different ends and make sure that it is in line with what their actual concept is and that there's, you know, there's not any kind of cannibalization among our vendors that, you know, we don't have three people serving burgers at, at competing prices. So um, just making sure that it's in line with their, you know, their original food concept that the prices, there's nothing, you know, everything is, is pretty much in line and the same you know, level playing field. So there's no, you know, kind of price gouging um, among certain vendors more than others. So what is, your yeah, we, we, what is your involvement in activations like and executing them? Is that, does that fall under your umbrella as well? Yes, it does. Okay. <laughs> so I've been working, yeah, there's, there's a, a lot of hats um, working with uh, our building management team to figure out what, you know, logistically what works, what we can have inside the marketplace that we can have out on our beautiful back patio. Um, we have quite a few things in the works. Um, previously, uh, the end of last year, shortly after we opened, we had during the warmer months, live music out on the patio. Um, we've had uh, some wine tastings that take place indoors. Um, and we've actually had a few calligraphy workshops that have brought in quite a few people to those. And it'll just keep growing from there. We have an embroidery class to kick off, you know, the first day of spring coming up this weekend, mm -hmm. where um, anyone who attends, they'll get a Western Market canvas tote. And we have the other cat creations. Her name is Nicole. She's coming in. She created a beautiful floral pattern custom for this event. So 
we'll be doing that. Um, we'll have, uh, most recently, we'll be having a pop-up gelato cart out on the patio starting in April. <laughs> so we're really excited about that. And who's um, the gelato? Yeah, live, live. <laughs> who doesn't like gelato? I mean, no, beautiful I outdoor patio starting to warm up in D.C. It's perfect. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Who is the gelato? Oh, it'll be uh, La Marmota. Oh, okay, great. That's very mm -hmm. exciting. Okay, well, now we're going to move on to people who are actually working in the market, <laughs> uh, the vendors that we've been talking about. And Jane, uh, Dane Cherry, I'm going to start with you. You're with Mason's Famous Lobster Rolls. Um, so I'd, I'd love to get a little bit of, of the concept. I think most people in this area are familiar with it. You have quite a few around the D.C. metro area. But we tell do. Us Tell us a little bit about it. Well, uh, Mason's Famous Lobster Rolls uh, began back in 2014 uh, in Annapolis. Um, uh, Dan Beck, who founded it and named it for his son, um, was a seafood provider of, uh, of fine seafood to, to the finer restaurants in D.C. and was frequently uh, going up to New England and just saw how popular it was becoming and decided uh, to open one up in Annapolis to introduce the people who just weren't seeing it on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of how Mason's began. And then uh, decide, we decided in uh, 2016 or so that it, it was time to start expanding it. Uh, and that's how we started franchising. And uh, I joined the company. My experience has been in, in franchising and owning restaurants for my, uh, my entire working career for the most part. Mm -hmm. uh, and I came on board actually as the vice president of uh, franchise development. So my role basically is to, uh, once we sign a franchisee and find a location, my role is to take that person by the hand and say, okay, let's work with the architect. Let's work with the construction company and the sign company and the menu board company and the equipment company. And just to get everything together, all those 130 points that you need to take care of that you may not know of because maybe you weren't in the food business before, maybe you were an insurance salesman or a teacher and decided you wanted your own business. These are all the things that you need to do in order to get your place open in a timely and painless fashion. That doesn't sound painless, but um, Jane, so, but let me ask you a question. I, I think there's sort of a misnomer out there in the food world, if you will, that, I mean, would you consider Mason's a chain? Because it's well, like chains have gotten, it, it, if you think of a chain restaurant, I think people think of it as a dirty word. Like I don't eat at chains, right? Because, because I'm a foodie or uh, whatever, whatever, because chains sound like Taco Bell or McDonald's. It sounds like chains sounds like cheap food that there's nothing right. wrong with it, but if that's not what, how you want to eat. So how, how do you figure that part out? Do you know what I'm talking about? I know exactly what you're talking about. And that it, it's interesting. And it's something that every small chain has to deal with. We need a new uh, word. And I, I use that chain. I know I don't like to use that word either. Right. Um, you know, we're a different concept because we're, we'll never be, you know, a McDonald's per se. First of all, we're so specialized, our market. Uh, you know, we can't be a burger place or a pizza place that can open up in every neighborhood. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just not us. We're very specialized. People aren't going to well, eat. Lobster is not cheap. Right. Uh, well, uh, I like to say it's not expensive either. It's lobster. <laughs> and, and I and love take lobster. Don't get me wrong. I will pay right. for it. I love lobster. But I mean, yeah. 
but yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, you know, luckily for us, I mean, you know, or sadly for people in general, you know, the $5 lunch is, was gone, the $7.50 lunch, the $12.50 lunch, it's become a $15 lunch market out there now for the most part. So we sort of are fitting in better. Uh, but you're right. I mean, we try and, you know, we're a small company with, with, where we our, our growth, we're not looking to open up hundreds of stores a year. And we're looking to to partner with specific individuals who we think will will. Uh, really be good ambassadors for our concept, really get passionate about our concept and what we're all about. Um, again, we, we don't go into, you know, we, we go into a food hall um, where if we think it's a specialized enough and will really uh, help our concept and our concept will help that market as well uh, versus just going on, on any street corner. Um, that's sort of what uh, attracted us to to uh, the Western market. Well, that's what I was going to ask. I mean, why go brick and mortar, right? And then it, it feels like the food hall goes before brick and mortar when you're, you know, when well, you're a restaurant. Like when I think of some other food halls, you know, the concepts that open there sort of are indeed it at the market to see if it could be a success. And then we're able to have their space at the market and then go to a brick and mortar. It's sort of like prove their success, right? Right. So we're going backwards. We're going backwards. <laughs> so why do that? Well, several reasons. I've always loved food halls. I've been, uh, you know, uh, traveling around Europe. You know, they're all over and incredibly successful and lots of fun. Uh, you know, food halls, if done properly, are are really, um, you know, if they, they really become. Um, you know, a, a social area. I mean, the center hub of that of that you know neighborhood, if you will, uh, and it's vibrant and it's exciting, uh, and it it just offers it it offers a way to showcase who we are to a a wide variety of people. I mean, Western Market. We wouldn't open up in Foggy Bottom uh, on the street because we don't think there's a, there's really a center part that has enough of the type of traffic we require. Sure. But the the excitement and and what we feel will be generated at Western Market and is being generated there between the students and the hospital and uh, hopefully when um, uh, IMF and uh, you know yeah, right? <laughs> and the We're World Bank like, can come back on a regular James, basis. James is like bring back the World yeah. Bank. <laughs> right. We 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 need the World Bank. I mean, for us, they're they're the majority of our customer more so than the students. We think the students will come to us. Some students. GW is a is a is a wealthy you know campus. They have the G World card, which helps. But we really feel we need we need all of that. Uh, and and food Can halls. I have a question, Dean. Can I? Sorry to interrupt, mm -hmm. but I I do have a question since you're talking about the students. And uh, you know, Nick really talked about you know catering to them in a certain way. So, do you, given the cost of some of your products, do you have offerings that are with students in mind? Or are you like, no, this is what we do and this is how we do it? Well, no, we do. You know, we, we offer, you know, mac and cheese and grilled cheese, lobster grilled cheese and regular grilled cheese. So we do have items there that we've always had uh, more so uh, really for families that come in. You know, our Rehoboth Beach store will have a family of four or five come in, three kids and parents. The parents want the lobster rolls, but the kids don't necessarily want the lobster rolls. So we do have, you know, a, a gourmet mac and cheese and we do have an assortment of soups that are certainly affordable and are, are high quality. So we, we do have that. But, you know, food halls offer, you know, it's a shared economy, certainly. Um, 
be, because the bathrooms are there and the and the that we don't have to worry about ourselves and the the general seating is there. Um, so you know that's that's certainly helpful. You know, as Nick said, you know they've supplied us with uh, a hood and with you know a three day sink and and the electrical, which is you know a huge cost in getting in. So we're able to get into food costs for considerably less funds also mm-hmm. and not in all cases but in some cases the western market has a um uh, what we would consider a fair uh, uh rent uh because food halls can be considerably expensive in some areas but they can also be more reasonable because we're getting you know a much smaller space mm-hmm. so the volume doesn't have to be quite as great though in all in food halls they can oftentimes oftentimes be be far greater than our our brick and mortar stores as well uh it's also nice imagine like with activations and stuff like that when that brings people in as as activations get bigger i'm sure western market will be doing bigger and bigger things you know with festivals and things like that absolutely the music the ante right yeah everything that they supply and they do to bring people in is really a benefit and it's nice you know sharing a place with james and the others because you know, uh, you know, we've been there when uh, the Roman rooster says, hey, we've ran out of register paper. You know, do you have any? Absolutely. Right. No problem. Hey, our ice machine is down. Can we get some from you? We're out of lemons suddenly. It's nice to have that camaraderie. It really is. And to get to know the other owners and the other employees there. Uh, so that's that's a that's a real plus too. you know, vendors support each other. Uh, and, and that's and that's a good feeling. You know, it's you know, nowadays, restaurants, I think, are. Are, are nicer looking than ever, and they provide a better quality of food than ever. Uh, and, and so what, what, you need to, what you need to get to your customers is that, is that getting to know them and that real positive social area that they can come to and feel, and feel important. And I think that food hall, it sort of gives that vibe off. You know, it's a welcoming place and, and people enjoy going there and, and it's just a destination. So five people who want to go out to lunch, you know, can go there and all go their own way and still meet at a common table and eat. But yet it's just a positive experience for them that they want to come there. Uh, And so that's that's part of why we want to be in a food hall, uh, you know, food hall as well. Uh, Well, It's nice. That's really great. I'm going to put a pin in you right there. Um, I will say before I get into James, I mean, I think what's interesting about the D.C. market, especially and you could argue with me, Dane, about it later, but you know, this is an educated community with educated palates. So, you know, when yes. it comes to food halls, restaurants, et cetera, in the DC market, um, you know, actually, I mean, a lot of the country has changed our, you know, I give credit to the Food Network, whether you like them or not, more people are interested in food and good food and quality food and eating better or eating or cooking or all these things are more important to people because, um, we see it more, whether it's on social media or television or whatever. Uh, James, you've been so patient. I'm finally to you. Hi, James. Raish, tell me about your concept. Great. Yeah. So Raish is aimed at bringing raw, real food to as many people as possible. Um, I like to say that in a food hall space, we are your healthy friend that's always tagging along. I love seeing when someone's going to it's a group of four people. One person is going to get a lobster roll, one person is getting a chicken sandwich, one person is getting the reapers, and then it's that one person coming to us for a smoothie, a smoothie bowl, or a salad. So what we really do is try to bring the most flavorful plant-based foods um, to everyone. Um, I would say about 70% of our customers are not plant-based. 
or vegan. Um, and we're really, they're just really looking to have that healthy meal, have that healthy moment in their day or their week. And it's just, and they come back because they do love it. Um, and that they love the way that it tastes, but also how their body feels because the raw in the name really comes from the fact that we don't cook anything. So from our sauces, our proteins, walnut meats, uh, we do dehydrated burgers, chickpeas, things like that. Nothing's cooked. There's no, um, ventilation or heated oven nick was speaking about earlier like how they come in and put the oven in. I'm like no 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 don't give me that call you don't you don't need anything yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so right. i love that um for my overhead and they love that because you know i'm, I'm i imagine you know most people do want the vintage stalls there's probably more demand there so mm -hmm. um yeah it's a great feeling to be a part of that um camaraderie there and seeing it always just makes me chuckle how it, how it all works out like that one person that's always in the group looking for something healthy come right here we got you so but how did you come up with your concept what was it that you found that was missing out there that you were like i know i can do this and i want to be able to offer these things yeah so actually rosh um was designed specifically for western market um we own my wife and i own gangster vegan dmv which has a location in baltimore cross street market and a brick and mortar in riverdale park um not that far from the university of maryland college park area and rosh we really wanted to try and really adapt to what um, and we're native Washingtonians, so we're super familiar with Foggy Bottom, GW, that kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. What do people down there working at IMF and World Bank and going to GW, what do they want to eat? And we already knew that it was going to be heavy, smoothie, smoothie bowl. That'll be pretty popular. But how do we do those and still stay on brand? So we're okay, not doing so anything. Hold on. Let's just back mm -hmm. up. For people who aren't familiar with smoothies and bowls, like yes. what does that mean? Because I know they're super popular, but not everybody mm -hmm. eats it. Yeah. So let's tell everybody what that is. Sure. So smoothie, we sell your traditional smoothie you'll get from, you know, um, any sort of health shop, any juice shop. Um, we don't do any syrups, like any dyes or colors or additives. It's just fruit, um, house-made milks and uh, cold-pressed juices and water that's going into the smoothies themselves. A smoothie bowl is what people will probably refer to as acai bowl or something like that, a dragon fruit or pitaya bowl. Um, though acai is just a fruit, pitaya is just a fruit. I bet those college yeah. kids love those bowls, man. They, they love, love them, them. Um, absolutely. They cannot get enough of them because um, we stuck to our core of not doing any sort of uh, additives or processed anything, no added sugars, and they can really taste the difference and taste the quality, which has been great. Um, from a color standpoint, we really try to make sure we still give you superfoods in them, but still make sure the colors pop. So instead of just doing your normal purple and pink, we have a yellow, we have a green one that's uh, avocado and banana that's really popular. We also did an activated charcoal bowl that's black and that always catches people off like, oh, wow, how does that look? But it's our sweetest one and the people just really love it. So okay. yeah, see? So I take activated charcoal every day. Um, so I'm okay. like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I know what you're doing. So I'm just curious, what is in an activated charcoal bowl? Great. So we have banana, coconut water, mango, pineapple, activated charcoal. Um, and we top it, it with granola, strawberry. Does it any flavor or it just provides health benefits? Health benefits. So you don't taste it at all. It just changes the color, the way we do it. Yeah. Cool. That is really, really cool. Got to get you one. Yeah. People yeah. love it. it. It catches their eye like, wait, what? And they taste it. And it's like, it looks, it's so sweet, but it's that contrast that really just gets them like, wow i like that that's great yeah it's, it's very very cool and then are you doing pressed juices or it's all smoothies uh cold pressed juices as well yeah okay so they're they're uh certainly picking up now that the weather is uh turning a bit here in dc well and um, i would so also assume because of the kids i mean i can speak to this i have two children in college i mean 
they want it the next day because of what the night before was like, right? They think it offsets. We literally um, have a sh wellness shot that's called the hangover. And someone called, an employee called me, it was like, hey, um, a kid wants to pre-order 15 hangover shots for tomorrow. And I was like, what? oh, it's St. Patrick's Day. Um, and I was like, wow, who would want that many like at a time? So yeah, that we are definitely uh, attacking uh, that market. <laughs> it's, it's, I think that makes a lot of sense. Well, so let me ask you, so now you're, you're in this food hall, um, you're familiar with the DC market. Are you using the food hall as a way to go more brick and mortar with this concept or what's, where are you with all that? So actually, um, I don't want to say I'll never do a brick and mortar again, but I am a bit of a food hall fanatic um, in some ways. I love them every time when we were designing our spaces, we go to Chelsea Market, we go to Tama Market in Miami, food halls in LA. Everywhere I travel, I make sure to hit a food hall just to get some source of inspiration. Right. Um, so the next rush will be in the Bevy, which is an upcoming food hall in uh, the Bryant Street development in Northeast DC, right where the Alamo yep. Draft House is. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, I can guarantee you, that'll be the next rush. Um, right. That lease is signed. So <laughs> um, that'll be next for us for sure. So we're definitely looking to, um, to really still stay in these communal spaces. Um, I think also one thing that we're starting to see, and I feel like it's going to be a trend, is that with the demand for delivery rising, you're seeing more clusters of orders. So if you're in a food hall, there's a better chance of your immediate being able to pop up on your Uber, your DoorDash, it's because you're near other um, delivery partners in a close proximity. There's an Uber driver that will come in, he'll grab something from another stall, then he'll come on and grab his rawish order, and then he'll be on his door, out, out the way out the door. So you know, if you're in a brick and mortar, that can be a little bit trickier to do. Um, for Riverdale Park, for example, um, our location is still open we have a loyal customer base, but as other businesses close during the pandemic, it suppresses okay. your delivery ability. Um, so there's kind of a bit of a trick, trick to, you know, to go and handle that there. Well, actually, I mean, you sort of give us a natural segue here to talk about uh, when COVID happened, you were in food halls, and how did you pivot to make that work for you? Were you already doing delivery in a food hall when you, before the pandemic two years ago? So we were not. Um, we really got on the ball and really just thought about, hey, how can we meet our customer as best we can? You know, put your best foot forward, try everything. We signed up for every delivery platform, uh, make sure to take great branded content. We really try to stay on top of social media and continue to reinvest there and grow our following. Um, partner with actually other, you know, your neighbors, that's part of being a food hall. Hey, what's working for you? Hey, what, what are you right. doing? What are you seeing? Um, and really trying to stay on top of those pivots and you just have to keep pivoting. Um, I think pre-COVID, um, a lot of businesses had their, had a lot of success. So they were able to really just kind of get comfortable. And we have been growing during the pandemic. So we, there is no comfort. Every day looks different. Everything looks different. Every opportunity is there. We were only open for about four months before COVID. Um, and we had two. Trial two by fire. That's turned. called trial yeah. by fire. That's exactly yeah. what it is. opened up is a COVID baby. Ross is a COVID baby. Our next food hall will hopefully not be a COVID baby. Um, but, you know, you just have to go out and get it. Um, we've actually been able to pivot to a, we had a lot of catering uh, demand in Baltimore pre-COVID and that's gone away, but we were able to pivot last summer to doing cold pressed cocktails for um, a pop-up container bar and we just i have a juice tasting today but we're we're going to expand that um venture into doing now we have three bars lined up for this summer already so continue to try to do that and really get a dollar where a dollar is 
um <laughs> you know don't get well, comfortable I was thinking you know you just put a splash in any of your juices and it yeah and, and people are saying that um I looked at the bar receipts and I was like I mean I might need to start and I gotta talk to Nick about getting my alcohol license because they're selling you know four ounce juice putting a little shot of tequila in it and yeah the prices the margins I'm like man I, I might right. be in the wrong business right um, so <laughs> yeah well, so before we bring everybody in, you brought up a really good point about being in the food hall, and that's the collaboration. So was that, um, I mean, I know what it's like in DC uh, compared to other cities, not just in the food hall market, but with chefs in general, you know, we have a, we have an incredible city of people in the food industry that really plays very well in the sandbox with each other. I mean, there's a couple outliers that don't play well with other people, but most people play very well with each other. Um, I can't really speak to Baltimore, but I, I do know that, you know, that's a rarity, especially in DC. And I think COVID did bring people together because they all needed help. And that's why that regarding her launched. Um, but was that a surprise for you when you joined the food hall sort of world that like, you know, you relied on each other and you, you lifted each other up? Absolutely. I think that um, from any business you see, um, if you walk down the street in Georgia Avenue, for example, the halal shop might not get along with the Chinese shop that's next to it. Um, they are, they view themselves as competitors. I've never, not one day a moment, viewed anyone in a stall near me as a competitor. The people that are coming to my stall are, you know, they might get a vegan option from the Greek spot next door. The people that are coming to get a lobster roll might want to try salad one day. Hey, come back, just spend your dollar in Western Market or Cross Street Market or the Bevy, wherever. As long as the dollar spent here, I'm good. I don't even, you know, it's, I don't really view it that way. Hey, get you a smoothie, then get a raper, then get a chicken sandwich, then get a lobster roll and just, like, <laughs> just come back. Like, I don't really view it that way. And I don't get the sense that any of my um, other vendors do as well. And I'll say one thing about Western Market as opposed to other food halls everywhere. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Anna, uh, you know, Mercedes and Nick, because the vendors there are top notch, heavy hitters. I mean, like Mason's Lobster, Roman Rooster, Reaper Zone, like those are people I look up to being so new into this process and really learning from how they can scale and grow and do things. I'm like, people are looking at me like, oh, you have three locations the fourth. I'm like, man, you know what I mean? Lobster Rolls shops Dane has, like, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'm trying to get to his level. <laughs> so yeah, it's been great. Well, that is um, really good to hear. And Nick, I want to bring you back in on that. Um, you know, yeah, it's a good point bringing it up. And from a leasing standpoint, you know, there's 15 stalls in here, but we don't, you know, we kind of throw out a really big net to the best of the best per that category of what we merchandise and what we need in there from, you know, there was Warwish, there was South Block coming in meat, right? With a couple other people. There was Masons, there was Luke's in there. There was a Repazone, there was, you know, Peruvian Brothers and other people coming to look at, at, at the at the project. And I love all the groups that, that I mentioned as well. And they come in and... <clears throat> not to any of those, but you absolutely have personalities. And, and we tell them, if you want to be on your own, please go get your own brick and mortar. You're going to have Mercedes, our team, our project management, ownership, and the rest of your fellow tenants that expect you to operate a certain way and at a certain level to, to build up everything with, within this team. So for some people that just doesn't want to work because they want to control 100% part, you know, 100 of, our, uh, of their destiny, we just feel that you can't really make a central destination place to kind of service the masses when you're excluding people out, right? So the gluten-free, the, you know, I have a, uh, a six-year-old and a four-year-old. 
I want to be able to take them to get ice cream, a burger, and I want to grab a beer during and listen to some music and do something like that's really how I get to relax now as, as a parent, unless, you know, I don't have my, my kids with me, but James and the tenants and kind of putting all these different experiences together is, is, is able to get that, but it does not work. And we've had some great concepts that has failed. It does not work unless you have really good committed operators. Um, so I think like as a company and through our vetting process, and we talk with every one of our vendors at nauseam before, you know, actually moving in and making sure they know here's the expectations in a food hall. Here's what you see, should see in covers. Here's what you should be at a price point. You know, here's what we'll need to work on so that we try to give them kind of the good, the bad, the ugly as we're going into a project, but we see where, where it can go. And then Western just has such a built out density, built in density already. Um, we touched on the, the COVID uh, for a while, you know, right now. And I, I think Dane and. Sorry, I got to interrupt you. Yeah, I can keep going. I know. Listen, it's exciting, but the show is ending, and I want to give everybody a moment to give a shout out to their company and where we can find more information. I know there's so much more that we can discuss, sure. but I have to just bring it back another time because I, I think what you guys are doing is amazing, and you obviously are doing your best to bring in really uh, interesting and vibrant um, vendors. So, James, I want to start with you. Tell everybody, please, where we can find Raw-ish on uh, line or on Instagram, please. Absolutely. Um, Raw-ish DC on socials, on our website, uh, .com or at Raw-ish DC. That's where we are. Um, and if, again, you're ready to come get healthy, find us. Got it. Okay. Dane, tell us, please, where we can find you. Same thing. Our website, uh, masonslobster.com. We're all over Facebook, certainly, and Instagram as well. And uh, starting to do some TikTok videos coming out shortly. So you can look out for that as well. I just did my first one the other day. They're they're making me do it kicking and screaming, but I am I'm joining it. I guess I have no choice. Okay, Mercedes, where can we find you, please? You can find us. Our website is westernmarketdc.com, and we have a full list of all of our vendors, their concepts, links to online ordering, as well as some of the history of the market, including our upcoming events. Um, and then we're also on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter, Western Market DC. Excellent. Thank you, Mercedes. And Nick, where can we find everything about Kena Development? Uh, placemakingworks.com is our website, uh, has our projects, and then our IG through Kena Dev and through all of the um, platform, all of the social media platforms that we have per market really show the individuality of each market and the tenants that are in there. Excellent. All right, everybody, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, you certainly got your education on food halls today. You can maybe call yourself an expert. So the cool thing about food halls is that they are opening all around the DC metro area. And it's not just a local trend, it is a national trend. And it is a real curation of incredible ways to eat and dine. And it's a great thing to do with a group. And, you know, we didn't get into today about payments and you know QSR codes and things of that nature. Uh, but that's all for another day. But I do want to thank all of my guests, uh, Nick, 
Alravionis, I hope I said his name right, from uh, Cana Development, and Mercedes Cowper, also of Cana Development, Dane Cherry of Mason's Famous Lobster Rolls, and James Yarbrough, Yarbrough of Raw-ish. Um, what an um, incredible group, and I feel like we all learned so much today. So I do want to thank you for joining me on Industry Night here on Real Fun DC. I do want to remind you to not just learn about these kinds of things, but everything and anything you heard in the show today, follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And of course, you want to listen to Foodie and the Beast every Sunday from 11 to noon on 1500. And to stay up to date for everything happening in the DC metro area, the list, are you on it.com. Again, thank you for joining me. Uh, it feels really good out there. So get out there and enjoy. Have a delicious week. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC.